Well, good morning. We are glad to have you here at Reston Bible Church. If you're joining us online, we're especially glad to have you with us today as well. We are in week four of a series in the book of Proverbs. If you remember back to the beginning, uh, we said that, remember we said that um, oftentimes people when they're working out, uh, they do all of their different body parts, but they kind of forget about the core. And oftentimes injuries and challenges occur because of that. And so our, our whole focus of this uh, series is really strengthening the core, some of the foundational pieces of life, things that we need to know about. And of course, this whole thing is focused on wisdom. The, the, the title for our entire series is Wisdom for Living. We do a little bit of review each week because I think as we uh, rehearse these things, we, we hopefully we remember them. Uh, the first one, the first piece is this definition that we gave you of um, what Proverbs is really all about. So a proverb, they are instructions to obtain wisdom for making decisions which result in successful living. So we want to be successful in the way God determines success in life. But in order to be successful, we need to make good decisions. And in order to make good decisions, we need to be wise about how it is that we move forward. And that's what this whole series is all about. Wisdom for living. We said, uh, if you recall, that Proverbs are principles not promises. We don't claim a proverb. We live it out. And as we live it out, as we seek to engage in life in the ways that Proverbs encourage us to do, well, we become those kinds of people. We have wise living. We're better able to make decisions as we move forward in life. Our verse for the whole series is Proverbs 4, 7. It says, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. The first wise step in life is to get wisdom, is to seek that, to, to, to study the word, to understand how it is that we can live. And whatever you get, get insight. We said that knowledge is information and wisdom is the effective application of that knowledge. And that's the focus of this. We we can have a lot of head knowledge. We can know a lot of things, but effectively applying that in our lives is another matter. So week one, we focused on the first seven verses of chapter one, which is the prologue. And the whole focus was on why we should get wisdom. Week two, we talked about the critical task of guarding our hearts, this core of who we are, our thoughts, our minds, our will, our, our, our perspective, our morals, all these different things about life and God and us. All of that exists right in here. And when we guard that, then week three, out of that comes everything else. And we said out of the mouth, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So from the core, everything flows from there. Okay, we talked about our mouths last week. I encourage you, if you haven't uh, had an opportunity to view all those, we encourage you to go back and do that. Today, we ha- our title for today is Overlooking an Offense. Part of wisdom is knowing when we get into conflictual situations, which, well, that never happens, right? Like, I don't know, every day sometimes it seems. How is it that we navigate those difficult situations? And so our verse for today, Proverbs 19.11, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and in it is his glory to overlook an offense. So I want to take this in two parts. There's the first phrase, Good sense makes one slow to anger. We're going to unpack that a little bit and then move to the second phrase. It is his glory to overlook an offense. So the ESV, English Standard Version, says good sense makes one slow to anger. The word word for good sense, that's a good translation of that Hebrew word. It's basically the trait of judging objectively. When you're able to look at a situation, see the variables, you see it accurately, that's good sense. The second part of that is the issue of then becoming slow to anger. Now, I believe that the, that the uh, NIV translates that a little bit better. Basically, a person's wisdom, it says, or good sense, 
yields patience. That's a little bit better of a word uh, for that second Hebrew word there where ESV says slow to anger. And it means the endurance in the midst of a grievance. When we endure a grievance, we call that patience. We are slow to anger as a result but that's not the best translation. So if I were to unpack this first part, kind of an expanded translation, it would be this. One's ability to judge objectively, his good sense, provides endurance in the midst of a grievance, which of course then is slow to anger and patience. So we want to be people who are able to objectively assess a situation, have good sense about it, even though we're offended, right? We have to set that aside. We, we want to object, objectively look at a situation the best that we can. And then we're going to bear up under it, under that grievance. We have said several times from the stage that, you know, our world values being direct. And when the world or someone offends you, we're supposed to stand up for ourselves. Sometimes that's true. We'll talk about that later on. But the Bible calls us at times, as we objectively look at life, and we bear up under a grievance to then understand what it is to overlook it. Now, if you understand Proverbs, you know that most Proverbs have two parts, two phrases. There's the first phrase, and then the second phrase. And that second phrase can relate to the first phrase in three different ways. It can be the first phrase, and then the second phrase is a contrast to that. There's this, but then there's that. So there's a contrast. There can be a restatement of the first. So there's the first phrase. And then they restate it in a different way. A poetically different way. The third way is that there is the first phrase. And then the second phrase actually extrapolates it out. There's more implications. There's a next step. And that's what it is in this proverb. So when we are able to look at life objectively from God's perspective. And we're going to talk. Our whole focus today is how we do that. We're able to bear up under a grievance and then we can take it to the next step, which is overlooking an offense. So the phrase two is, and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. Now we usually ascribe the word glory to God, but there's a way in which God ascribes glory back to us. When we obey him, when we, we look at life and we're able to then overlook an offense because of our walk with him, we're getting to that in a second, then God attributes glory to us. This is, I love that about you. I love it when you are able to overlook an offense. Now there's three words in this particular phrase. There's glory, overlook, and offense. So the word glory is the quality of splendor, magnificence, fame, radiance. God ascribes wonderfulness to us. When we are willing to receive an offense, take it on the chin without getting set off kilter in the journey moving forward. Overlook simply means to go on one's way, to pass by. Nothing left to say. see here. We're moving on. We're not dragging it with us. So God attributes glory to us, magnificence, radiance to us, if you will, when we are able to pass by, and then our third word is offense. Now, this is a violation of a law or a duty or a moral principle. It could be everything from literally breaking the law in the moral sense to being to an inadvertent oversight and everywhere in between. So when we look at life 
objectively in good sense from God's perspective. We can bear up under a grievance. And then God attributes glory to us, magnificence to us when we are able to overlook an offense. Most of you are familiar with John Piper and his Desiring God theme. There's a website and one of the writers for Desiring God is a man named Scott Hubbard. And about this verse, Scott Hubbard says this. He says, in moments of calm, the wise man's counsel sounds so right, so sane. Overlooking, and, overlooking offenses is our glory. And we would all say this. We, you know, we bear with one another when we forgive whatever trespasses are against one another. And we know all these, we've heard all these New Testament verses. But then he says this, he says, but then the offenses actually come. And we often find them too large to overlook. In truth, the actual size of the offense often matters little. A spouse's consistent fault finding, a boss's unfair criticism, a stranger's unaccountable rudeness, Given the right circumstances, any of these may rise up in front of us like a son of Anak, its shoulders stretching to the heavens. This is an Old Testament reference. Remember the Nephilim? They were like these enormous people. And just like those enormous people, sometimes offenses, no matter how small, can rise up in magnificence in front of us. Peripherals blur. Tunnel vision ensues. And we have eyes only for the offense. Even if sanity swiftly returns, the damage is often already done. We returned tone for tone, passive aggression for passive aggression, jab for jab. Or maybe, maybe we've been able to restrain ourselves externally, but only as a small volcano erupts inside of us. Well, maybe it's not that either. Maybe it's that we quietly smolder, playing the incident on repeat the rest of the day. And what seems so simple, the call to overlook an offense, which we would all acknowledge as a valuable response, has failed to happen again. Sound familiar? Any of those sound familiar? <laughs> I believe, I'm sure I've responded in all three ways, depending on the situation, and sometimes maybe multiple of those at the same situation. We say to ourselves, well, should I always do that? Should I always overlook an offense? When do I and when don't I? What if I don't want to? I mean, this isn't a command. It doesn't say you shall overlook an offense. It says it's to your glory if you do. Well, what about Matthew 18? I mean, the Bible gives us this clear you know, process, if we're offended, how we should handle that. What about that? All those are true and valid to consider. And we are going to address today, when should we and when should we not overlook an offense? And we should recognize that we're more likely to not overlook one than to overlook one. If we're honest with ourselves. One's ability to judge objectively, good sense, provides endurance in the midst of a grievance so that we are slow to anger and have patience so that we can bear up under an offense, overlook an offense, and receive God's affirmation for having done so. There are four truths, four foundational truths that I believe 
are critical for us to always keep in mind if we have any, if we want to have any hope of being able to overlook an offense. And those are found in 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today unpacking what does it mean? How do I consider overlooking an offense? And what do I need to know? What are these four truths that God has for us today in our capacity to do that. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2 is all about, it targets those who are enslaved on what it means to overlook an offense in that context, in that extreme context. Now, we're not going to talk about slavery today. We've done that in a previous sermon. I did a full sermon specifically on slavery in biblical times. I encourage you to go back and listen to it. But in that extreme circumstance, it provides a template for us in far less difficult situations for truths to understand how it is that we always need to keep in mind so that we can consider overlooking an offense. And the first one is this. The first truth that we need to always keep in mind is the sovereignty of God. First Peter 2.19 says, speaking to those who are being unjustly treated, this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Being mindful of God. The New International Version says it this way, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of suffering because they are conscious of God. You see, I believe that when we experience an offense, I don't know about you, I think it's true of me, that that we become functional atheists. Suddenly the sovereignty of God goes out the window. Because if God were fully in charge, if he were attentive to what's going on in my life, surely he wouldn't be letting this happen. Or he would do something about it even if it did. And my question then becomes, is God really in control here? Is he really square in the center of the throne Or did this situation, this unforeseen to me, but certainly not unforeseen to him, did this unseat him from that place? I don't know about you, but when someone offends me, someone hurts me, something takes place that that causes me to struggle with that person. I struggle. I struggle to pray. I struggle to understand how to pray for them. I, I, I struggle to pray not that God would like, Bring his justice raining down on their head on my behalf. Of course, justice in that moment is always what I see justice as being and may or may not be justice in the eyes of God at all. And then it gets worse because I want God to do something. I have my perception of justice and God, I I want you to do something about that. And how many situations has Not only God not done my perception of what justice is, that then he has gone on to continue using that person for his glory. And I'm like, what? Like you're not only just going to not fix this from my perspective, you're going to use them for you? Come on. And this is where God says, do you believe that I am sovereign or do you not? It is simple as that. Is God still in charge? Is he still going to right wrongs? Is he still going to even the score? Is he still going to navigate this down the road in his time for his glory to his ends? My capacity to see things effectively with good sense, to bear up under 
a grievance so that I can overlook an offense is foundationally based on whether I truly live with the reality that God is sovereign. Not just as a notion, but as a truth that I live by today. And when I do that, I am better able to overlook an offense. So that's truth number one. Truth number two, if I'm going to see objectively with truth to bear up under a grievance so that I can overlook an offense, first, I need to maintain my grasp on the sovereignty of God. Number two, I need to maintain my grasp on the critical role of perseverance in the plans of God. 1 Peter 2, 20. It says, and when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. God loves perseverance. He loves perseverance. When we persevere, something happens because God uses that in a way that he can use nothing else for our transformation. Matthew 5, says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The problem is that many of the people that we have conflict with, that we are called to endure and perhaps even overlook a grievance, we don't consider our enemies. That's not an enemy. That's my husband. That's not an enemy. That's my wife. That's not an enemy. That's my neighbor. That's not an enemy. That's my coworker tomorrow. But someone with whom I am at odds, where there is injury and wounds, classifies in the biblical definition of enemy, whether they're your spouse, your coworker, or your neighbor. And we are called to love them. We're called to love them. Romans 12 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, scholars do not fully understand the history of this notion of heaping burning coals. Many have postulated that, that in, the old, in ancient times, when a people were conquered, the top tier people, kings and nobles and so forth and so on, were paraded through the streets with containers of burning coals on their head as a form of humiliation to them. And the point being that when we overlook an offense, we heap humiliation on the offender. When you are unkind to me and I am kind back to you, what this is talking about is that, that, that it, the hope is that it will poke at shame in their heart for having been unkind. This is a direct quote out of Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. Understanding the role of perseverance in God's transformation in our lives is a critical truth. And being able to then see things clearly so that we can bear up under a grievance so that we can overlook an offense. James puts it this way. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. God's goal for you in this life is that you would be transformed into the image of Christ. That's your destiny. That is your goal. Part of his process. 
part of the plan. Perhaps the primary element of that process in transformation into his image is what occurs when we persevere through life's difficulties. There's something that happens in perseverance that can't happen any other way. And when I am willing to look at the difficulties that I have with other people, the offenses that come in my direction, and I'm able to persevere under that and recognize that very difficulty, that very conflict as a transformative tool in the hands of God, I am better equipped to overlook an offense because I see that even that has a purpose in God's transformative plan. Let me just say, and we're going to get, cover this a little bit more later, I am not referring to abusive situations, to a failure to set boundaries on people who are repetitively dysfunctional and hurtful in your life. We're not talking about that. We're going to talk about when not to overlook an offense in a little bit. So number one, the prim- one of the primary truths that we need to embrace and live in in order if we are able to assess things correctly from God's perspective, bear up under a grievance and overlook an offense is the sovereignty of God. Number two is maintaining a grasp on the critical role of perseverance. Number three is recognizing that overlooking an offense is Christ-like. When we overlook an offense, we reflect the person of Jesus in our lives. Verse 21, 1 Peter 2. It says, For this you have been called, overlooking an offense, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We will never, ever be as offended in life as Jesus was, ever. And following Jesus in our willingness to overlook an offense is to live like him. Back to Scott Hubbard from Desiring God, he says this, he says, know that the daggers others throw your way will become in God's hands chisels to fashion you into the image of Christ. We want to look like him. Sometimes it's hard. We persevere under difficulty. We look a little bit more like him. There's that powerful moment In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, where Jesus from the cross looks down at the crowd around him, filled with the religious leaders, filled with the soldiers, filled with people who loved him. And looking specifically and speaking specifically about those who put him there on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And I've read that so many times and I've said, no, they know exactly what they're doing. They're killing him. They hate him. The reality is, there's a lot that they did not know. They didn't realize the magnitude of what they were doing. They didn't realize he was the son of God. They they had no clue the enormity of what they were doing. They weren't just killing another criminal. They were crucifying the son of the living God. There's this powerful verse in Matthew's 
account of this, the scene of the crucifixion. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. It jumped out at me the other day. And, and I believe that this may just be the, the answered prayer of Jesus when he said, Father, forgive them. It's found in Matthew 27, verse 54. And it says, when the centurion and those who were with him, so here's all these guards, the centurion and all the men who worked with him to accomplish what they had just done, they nailed him to the cross. Keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake when these men saw that and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Was this a conversion moment for these soldiers? Was this a moment where they made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ? They said, he is the Son of God. Well, Perhaps it's even a little bit more clear of a confession than the the thief on the cross who says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. I don't know. I can't be sure. But perhaps right here, Jesus' prayer was answered and that even the soldiers came to faith that day. Do I pray for those who have offended me like Jesus was praying for those who put him on the cross? I would not like to be fully honest about some of the things that I've prayed for people who have offended me. What about you? You know, over the last five years, my journey here at Reston Bible Church, I've had a lot of time to interact with and observe the man who is Mike Minner. Not just the pastor, but the man, like the behind the scenes man, right? The man that isn't always in front of people. And the challenges, and you know as a pastor for 47 years, he's experienced no small number of injuries and wounds and offenses. He's received what every pastor has received at some point in time. Those lengthy, angry, anonymous letters that are impossible to respond to. And I've never seen a man who has responded more humbly and has been more willing to overlook an offense in his journey as a pastor than Mike Minner. We've talked through some of those those situations. I've heard about some of them many years ago that, that he has walked through, recognizing that as he has persevered in the sovereignty of God and has sought to reflect Jesus in his, li- in, in his life, he's been able to overlook an offense, many offenses over the years. Truths that we must maintain a grasp on so that we can see things clearly, bear up under a grievance, and overlook the offense. The sovereignty of God, the critical role of perseverance, the reality of the example of Christ and our reflection of him when we do. Fifth and finally is maintaining a grasp on all that we have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. When I am able to maintain focus on the magnitude of my offense to God, all that I have been forgiven, then I am better able to assess in good sense what's happening and bear up under this grievance and overlook this offense. Back to 1 Peter, 
chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. When I come to grips and I'm able to maintain clarity in the day in and day out of what God has forgiven me of, then I am better able to overlook an offense. You say, but pastor, you know, I, I can grab this, I can get my arms around this in, in, in some things. I understand uh, th- things that are unintentional. Okay, I, I can get my arms around that. Things that are minor, oh, I can get my arms around that. Okay, maybe a person out in public, maybe, you know, someone who cuts me off in traffic who I don't even know. Honestly, that's one of the harder ones for me. In 43 years of driving, I've never run anybody off the road, but I have sure thought about it. (laughs) And you say, but pastor, aren't there times when we shouldn't overlook an offense? I mean, what about Matthew 18 that says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. I mean, Hike this up the scale, not only not overlook it, but take more action. What about that? And every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. What about Ephesians 4 that says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in in every way into him who is the head, that's Christ. You see, there are situations where it is best to not overlook an offense. But see, we need the tension we need the struggle. We need the thought process of understanding, number one, how, how can I? And our four principles for today out of 1 Peter 2, they help us understand that there are probably far more situations where God is asking me to overlook an offense than I am willing to do. In that context, understanding those undergirding truths that I need to keep my grasp on at all times, there are indeed other times when I should not overlook an offense. Purposeful offenses are things that oftentimes I may not overlook. I might. It depends on who they are. If it's a close, intimate friend or family member, probably not. If it's a coworker, maybe I do. Maybe I do. The issue of frequency is an issue. Something that's on an ongoing, repeated pattern. I am not loving to someone else who repeatedly hurts me in the same way. I'm not loving them by continuing to allow them to do that. Chances are really good I'm not the only one that they're doing that to, especially if they're a brother or sister in Christ. There are times when I've been offended or hurt. And I know that perhaps the best, ultimate, most amazing, godly, incredible, off-the-charts thing to do is to overlook it. And I just can't. I'm, I'm not getting all the prayer and all the meditation. It's just not happening. And now not only is the offense standing between us, but my inability to respond in a way that's helpful and godly is getting in the way. And for the sake of the relationship, I need to go to that person and in an Ephesians 4 sort of way, speak the truth in love. And at the same time, perhaps own my inability to do what I really, really would have wanted to do, which is just overlook it and move on, move forward. Certainly if the law has been broken or if there's repeated emotional 
or physical harm that's being brought, these are not offenses to be overlooked. So what is it for you? What is it for me today? Anybody here in the midst of dealing with an offense? Nah, no one, right? Maybe everyone. Maybe everyone. Is this an offense to be confronted? To be addressed? Is it an offense to be overlooked? The four principles that we have talked about today, maintaining a grasp on the sovereignty of God, God's use of perseverance in your life to make you like him, seeking to be Christ-like and having being his reflection of that which he would do, number three, and then number four, maintaining a grasp on all that I have been forgiven. When I do those things, I am much better able to see clearly, is this an offense to be overlooked or is this an offense that I need to lovingly address? Which one is it for me today? You know, the power of Jesus Christ is the foundational key in all of this. Everything we've talked about, Jesus is the perfect model of. Jesus always, always understood the sovereignty of his Father. He always understood the role of perseverance. And he is our model so that we can then understand and live these things out. It takes a relationship with Jesus in order to do it. It takes having accepted his payment for my sin and entering into a relationship with him. Today is communion. And what I want our focus of communion to be today is evaluating my life. You evaluating your life right here, right now. Where am I in my journey? In fellowship with people around me? Is there an offense in my life? How am I handling that? Am I handling it in a Proverbs 19.11 sort of way, able to overlook it because I am maintaining a grasp on these things that we've talked about of 1 Peter 2? Or is it a situation that I need to go in Ephesians 4 sort of way, speaking the truth in love? I'm going to pray. And in preparation for communion, after I am through praying, I'm just going to ask everyone to just sit in silence and have a moment with the Lord. And think through, when it comes to the challenges, the issues, the offenses of my life today, where am I? Is God calling me to recognize that the best thing I can do through navigating the four things we talked about today is overlooking an offense? Or I've been holding on to something that I really need to address. There aren't easy answers to these things, but as we embrace what we have spoken about today, we are better equipped for God to provide wisdom along the way. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the call that the high road in many situations is to overlook an offense, to not be angry. God, so often when we are offended, we want justice, but when we offend, we want grace. And Father, I pray that we would be more quick to give grace 
rather than demand some form of justice that is contained within our mind, but perhaps not in yours. God, as we move through life in this world where there's so much, so, so, everyone's so quick to be offended. We need safe spaces on college campuses and all kinds of things so that people don't have to hear what they don't want to hear. And God, we are bathing in this culture. And God, we need to recognize that in Jesus, we can have a thick skin and a soft heart. And sometimes the godly thing to do is to not be so quick to be offended. Father, I pray for each of us as we consider where we are and what it is that you're calling us to do. God, always keep us mindful of your sovereignty, the role of perseverance, that we should be Christ-like and that we have been forgiven so much. And Father, for any who are with us today who have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, they've never asked him to be their savior in particular, they've never confessed their sin, repented of their own efforts and received the free gift of eternal life through Jesus, I pray that today would be the day. And Lord, as we consider communion today, I pray that you would speak to each of us, poke at our hearts today, peel back the curtain for ourselves that we might see clearly what you're calling us to do. Why don't you go ahead and spend a few minutes with the Lord. Just talk to Jesus about what we've talked about today. That night in the upper room, as Jesus was preparing to go to the cross, he was celebrating Passover with his disciples. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread is like my body. It's a metaphor. Just like I'm breaking this bread, my body is going to be broken for you as I institute this new covenant in a relationship with me. Father, I thank you for the broken body of Jesus, that as he went to the cross, it says, by his stripes, we are healed. By his work on the cross, we can be reconciled to you. Sinners who don't deserve it, but reconciled nonetheless through his work for us on our behalf. Let's participate in the bread together. At that same time, Jesus took a cup and he said, this cup represents my blood, which is shed for you for this new covenant. And when he went to the cross, 
and shed his blood. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It's just not happening. And so Jesus shed his blood so that we would not have to pay for our own sin. Father, thank you. Thank you for spilling the precious blood of Jesus so that we wouldn't have to pay for our own sin. Thank you that we can enter into a covenant relationship with you. That if we simply would believe, we can receive eternal life in a relationship with you that begins today and never ends. Let's participate in the cup together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to know you through Jesus Christ and that we might live for you. And may we live this week in a way that honors you, Lord God. Help us to discern wisely as we look at situations when it is that you would honor us, magnify us, glorify us from one perspective as we seek to overlook an offense. And help us to discern wisely when not to. Father, we love you today. We pray in your great name. Amen.